cricket life stories with me, Neil Kagram. Today we're joined by Paul Harris. How are you doing down in South Africa? Yeah, not too bad. It's a bit chilly, yeah? So I've uh, found myself a nice posse uh, on the balcony in the, in the sun and uh, soaking up a few rays. We, we, we're packing about 15 degrees now, so hopefully uh, it'll warm up a bit. Yeah, no, it doesn't look too bad over there. Um, so let's start where it all began with yourself. You were born in um, Salisbury, Zimbabwe, uh, before making the move over to South Africa, Cape Town, as a, as a, as a kid. Um, can you talk through your earliest memories of the sports and and how you got into it? Sure. Yeah, no, look, obviously, as you said, born in Zim, but I was very, very, sort of very young when we left. Um, my father fought in the war. And uh, we left, actually left for the U.S. for a while. Uh, my parents finished their studies there, and then we moved to to Cape Town. And um, sort of my first memories of cricket would probably be mini cricket. There was a there was a thing here in South Africa called Baker's Mini Cricket. It was, it is the best uh, sort of junior cricket uh, sort of setup that is uh, that, that I've ever seen. I think every single South African cricketer that you, that you speak to would have come through that, that sort of system. It's where everyone got sort of won over. You play with a Slazenger ball, I'm not sure if you guys know what those are there. It's like a harder version of a tennis ball. And everyone sort of gets a turn. And everyone played that. And I sort of really enjoyed it. And you'd get uh, Baker's was a, 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 they made biscuits and cakes here in South Africa. And, and they still do. And everyone would get a biscuit and a Coke. And you'd go off to your sort of local park and you'd play. They'd have these things where you go play Baker's mini cricket. So for us, that was a sort of stepping stone for most cricketers in South Africa to get involved in the sport. And I suppose yeah, I fell in love with it when I was uh, when I was, I was I was very young. And then you also got whilst you're playing at high school, you were spotted by Duncan Fletcher um, to come into the Western Provinces uh, youth setup. How did that all come about? And a word on Duncan Fletcher. Obviously, in the UK, we know a lot about him with his success sure. in the England side. Um, a word on on that period. Yeah. It was a, you know, it was a bit of a, a sort of longer haul than that. Is I didn't play any provincial cricket at school um, whatsoever. I, I sort of went to. I grew up in a place called Komiki and I had long sort of dreadlocks, and you know we enjoyed surfing, and uh, you know we were quite laid back, and I kind of wanted to surf rather than I wanted to play all sports, but I really enjoyed surfing, and, and cricket was kind of, you know, sort of I played at school uh, for the first team, but I didn't go to one of the more traditional schools here, in, sort of in Cape Town. I went to one of the sort of smaller schools out in the out in the sticks, so I didn't really get much sort of recognition. And it was, it was, I say, it was a combination of, of Duncan Fletcher and 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 Vincent Barnes. The Vincent Barnes was the bowling coach of people know him as the bowling coach for South Africa for quite a long period of time, um, who had spotted me at one of the sort of outlying nets and sort of brought me into the Western Province system and brought me into sort of. You know, I started bowling at nets to the main Western Province side as a net bowler and. That's when sort of Duncan's sort of spotted me, and I think a, a good word from Vincent saying, "Look, this is not the worst I've seen," and uh, and just got sort of uh, you know nurtured and 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 I like Duncan Fletcher. He calls a spade a spade, and it's my kind of guy. You know, he doesn't hold back. Uh, at the time, we had quite a few good uh, spinners: Paul Adams and Paul Henderson were were at, at Western Province. So I wasn't getting too much of a look in there, and uh, just you know, biding my time playing a lot of D section cricket and. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy, old, old Duncan, and, and I like the way he speaks. And you know, you mentioned uh, Paul Adams and Claude Henderson. You only played, I think, believe you made your debut in 1998, but only two further games in the next few years, up until like 2001, 2002. Um, was, it, was that period just kind of learning your craft? Sure, I think it was, you know, I think in this day and age, uh, you know, guys sort of want that, we live in that sort of now culture where guys, you know, want everything to happen as soon as they come out of school, 
you know, you'll get your sort of geniuses that will happen to, like an Abby de Villiers, uh, you know, a guy like him will come out of school and sort of stop playing automatically. But, you know, I sort of had to bide my time. I had to, I played a lot of B-section cricket. We call it B-section cricket. It's your second team cricket in the, in the, in the, in the UK, uh, for Western Province. Uh, we had a formidable uh, B-side uh, that won most trophies. We learned to win. We learned to play uh, proper three-day cricket at the time. Um, you know, we were led very well by a guy called Lloyd Ferreira. He was an amazing captain and a great guy. And uh, we just learned our trade and learned our craft and, you know, learned how to have, have fun and enjoy the game. Um, and uh, but as you said, didn't get much chance in the, in, the, in the sort of first team. But I was young and, you know, learning, my, learning how to do things. And, and then obviously made the move from, uh, from Western Province. It was supposed to be a two-year plan to move to Gauteng. But now I'm still here 20 odd years later. So uh, my two-year plan didn't, didn't work out too well. Yeah so, the move, <laughs> yeah, so the move to Northerns, um, was it just a, a, was it a playing decision? Just did you feel you were, you would get more opportunity there? So effectively what happened was, is we played uh, the, B, the B section final. It was called the whole bowl section, which is the second team final against Northerns. And I think I got seven in the first innings and eight wickets in the second innings. I got 15 in the game, or something like that. And uh, Dave Mosworthy, who was the coach of Northerns at the time, then came to me and said, do I want to move to Pretoria? And I'm not sure if any of the listeners will know the difference in culture between, uh, you know, being a surfer from Cape Town and then going up to a sort of very Afrikaans, very regimented uh, Pretoria. It, uh, it was a culture shock of, uh, of epic proportions. Uh, my, my skateboard was taken away in the first week. Uh, I was skating in the car park at Super Park. And that was taken away because I wasn't allowed to skate in case I got injured. And, uh, and, and, and it was more focused. I think, uh, you know, for me, it was, a, it was great for me because there was not much else to do besides sort of focus on my game and sort of understand what I wanted to do with my career and how I wanted to sort of achieve a few things. And, uh, you know, Dave Nosworthy was great for giving me that opportunity. And then it sort of led into Richard Pipers coming in as the coach later on. And, you know, that, that particular Northerns and then changing to Titans team did exceptionally well. Yeah, so you mentioned um, obviously under the new kind of the new kind of structure that took place in South African cricket, the Super Sport League, I believe it was called, uh, with the Titans. Mm-hmm. Two thousand five, was that? Would you say the your breakthrough season, forty nine wickets, the most by any any bowler? And a word on Richard Pybus, how much of an effect has he had on your career? Sure. I th- look, I think when he arrived, I think it was the first time that someone kind of understood what I was sort of all about and. You know, I suppose you rightly or wrongly so because of my sort of personality and quite laid back and you know, very Cape Town at the time. I was sort of uh, you know, looked upon as someone going against the grain uh, when I necessarily wasn't. I just had my own way of doing things. And Pibus came in and he's quite a free spirit and, you know, he, he kind of treats everyone differently. And I, for the first time, I think in my career, I felt like I was really backed and, uh, and you know, I really appreciated it. And they started to pre- prepare wickets for, for us, you know, myself and Nimonta here was there for a while as well and we bowled well together. Um, so it was, uh, you know, we created a sort of spin bowling culture within the side and we had some bloody good cricketers. I mean, we had, you know, there was the emergence of Dale Stane. You know, he also rocked up from Palabora, which is sort of north of Pretoria with long blonde hair. We called him Sunshine when he arrived. And, you know, bowling Thunderbolts, he, you know, he didn't have, uh, his, his aim wasn't that good, but he, but he, uh, he was bowling quickly. You know, he came into the setup of the guy likes of Fafti Pussi, Hainu Kun, Ethi and Bilati. Alfonso Thomas, you know, all these guys, you know, led incredibly well by Martin van Oswald and later on Pierre Joubert. And we just created a sort of culture of winning. And, uh, and that, that came from, from Richard Piper. So he instilled that in us, you know, we were sort of the guys that Northerns were known as the guys that sort of, you know, had all the talent but didn't win much. Uh, when Piper came into the setup, 
we really got that belief where we believed we could win every trophy. And, you know, we had a proper, proper cricket side. We built up the guys over the over four or five years, a proper good system of, uh, of, of, of maybe three teams or sort of three to eight teams that any of those guys could play at any time, which was, which was great to be part of. You talked about being backed. During that period, I talk about 2005, did you have any conversations at that time with the national side? Ask the question because obviously in 2006 you come over to the UK on a coal pack deal, play for for Warwickshire. What did you have any conversation with the national sides about? Any no, there was nothing. That was one of the reasons why I did it. There was no sort of conversation at all. It was quite weird. I actually had to do well for Warwickshire before I got a phone call from any of the the sort of national selectors. Um, you know, at the time they had Nick Boyer in the in the, in the setup, and I, I mean we didn't even know they were looking for anyone else. For me. It was weird how that whole Colpac thing came up. I mean, those days the, the 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 rules were slightly different. Anyone could sort of attack a Colpac contract, and I think maybe it was uh, it was taken advantage of too much uh, at, at some stage, and they strengthened those rules and rightly so. But I mean, I was playing cricket in the for, who was I playing for again? I was playing, I think, for Fleetwood. Uh, I was playing cricket for Fleetwood, and obviously John, there was a strong South African connection at uh, Warwickshire with Jonathan Trott, who I played quite a bit of uh, sort of junior cricket with, and. Dan Venturi hurt himself and uh, he hurt his back, unfortunately. And John said to them, well, you know, look, it's Mark Greatbatch, who was the coach at the time. So look, there's this guy down the road who's not uh, half bad. Maybe you should give him a crack. And that's how it sort of uh, it sort of came up. And, you know, I really enjoyed myself there, I suppose, as a South African guy, you know, coming into any setup in the UK, that would be one you would choose because we had a pretty strong, you know, Southern African connection with East Street being our sort of captain. And, you know, Tim Kunewald there, I had... Uh, you know, Tim Ambrose, although being an Aussie, we inducted him to the SAF for Hall of Fame. Um, you know, there was there was quite a few uh, you know South African guys there, and and, and uh, you know, and, and a really good team, and a, just a fantastic place to play cricket. And I loved uh, county cricket because you didn't have to train, so you're always playing. I like competing. Training for me was a bit of a mission, but competing I loved. So you know, I think I only had three nets the whole time I was at Warwickshire because you play every day. So. For me, it was uh, it was a fantastic experience, and it helped me understand how to bowl in different conditions. Uh, unfortunately for the English, I think it's become a bit of a finishing school for a lot of cricketers, and it certainly was for me. And I, if I hadn't gone there, I'm not sure I would have been selected to play to play for South Africa. Yeah, so 2006 Boxing Day Test match, Nicky Boyer has retired. You get your opportunity in the full Test side when you eventually got the call. How did I make you feel? Proudest moment? Yeah, it was. I was. I was actually having a few drinks uh, with with, with Fafke Fuff, Busia. Actually, funny enough, um, we were out on holiday in Cape Town, uh, and we were at a place called the Brass Bowl, one of my favourite pubs in the world. And I got the phone call from uh, from Hurun Ogard, who was the national convener of selectors, asking me if I wanted to play. And I was kind of a bit taken back. And after the phone call, I didn't even know if I was selected or not. Um, I had to phone him back to find out if I actually was <laughs> if I actually was selected to play. It was a bit look. I, I felt I felt a bit bad as well in a way. Obviously, I was elated, but I, I had I had kind of committed to Warwickshire, and then I had to obviously make the phone call through to Mark Greatbash to say, look, you know, this is what the story, and you know, he was great. Warwickshire were phenomenal um, in saying, you know, look, we're not going to stop you from sort of your your dreams and what you wanted to achieve. And um, it had been a long road, you know. Twenty eight, I think I played close to 80 first class games by the time that I got my call up. And it had been a long haul, I and mean, we'd worked hard to get there, and uh, it was pretty cool. And also to play against India, to play a couple against a couple of the sort of, uh, you know, I look down at that batting order even now, and I think cheapest, you know, that was pretty cool to be able to bowl to those guys. Yeah, so you got four for on debut, including the wicket of 
the great Sachin Tendulkar. Then you backed it up the following year away in Pakistan. You, I think you got your wickets at 20s. I was looking back at some stats, including a five in Karachi. Did you, did, were you exuding confidence as a spinner at that stage? I think that's been one of my, it was probably one of my skill sets, I think, is uh, first of all, I was very accurate. I didn't spin the ball as much as others, but uh, I was very accurate and I didn't really care who I bowled to. Uh, you know, I sort of, uh, if, it was, if I was playing a sort of club game here in Pretoria for TUT or if I was you know, bowling to Sachin Tendulkar at Newlands, it didn't really bother me all that much. I was just stoked to be out there and, 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 and competing. Um, I've got sort of quite an in-your-face, abrasive sort of character. It worked well for me. Uh, it's not how I am off the field, I can assure you. Much more relaxed, but uh, you know, it worked for me. It was what it worked for me to get there. And I just feel as a spin bowler, you've got to be in the game. You know, you've got to sort of, you don't have the ability to, you know, have any, instill any fear with bowling short or, you know, sort of uh, being intimidating, you know, intimidating batsmen. So you kind of got to use your words at times. It worked for me certain times and other times not so much. And I suppose at that stage, I was pretty confident, you know, that started well for me in test cricket. Uh, you know, and I absolutely loved touring. So for me, touring, I, I loved it. Going to, going to a place I've never been to, you know, going to Pakistan as my first tour, you know, rocking up in Karachi, it's pretty much as far away as you can get sort of, uh, you know, culturally from what I was brought up with and you know, understanding a different culture, especially, uh, you know, it's quite strict and regimented in Karachi and, you know, understanding what uh, so those sort of people, how they live, what they go through. And then obviously the wicket there, you know, they had uh, old Canaria in their side and I think they got it a little bit wrong and they uh, sort of created this wicket that spun from day one. And, uh, and we were fortunate to have Jacques Tullis, who I think got 100 in both innings in that test match. And you now I was able to, lucky enough to get a few few wickets as well. And then 2008, you made your one-day international debut. You played three overall for South Africa, all against Bangladesh. Did you see your game at that stage as, 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 as more of a longer format uh, type of bowler? Funny enough, I always saw myself as a better bowler in the shorter format of the game. Because of the fact that I mentioned earlier, I didn't really miss very often, so I was pretty accurate, and you know I could pretty much land the ball whenever I wanted when I was uh, when I was bowling well. So I actually thought I was better better in uh, sort of in the, in the limited format of the game, and I sort of thought I proved that in first class cricket, or in, 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 especially for Warwickshire, I played a lot of uh, white ball cricket for Warwickshire and did really well. Um, so look, I, I had a I had a, um, a a good game plan in Test cricket. I mean, I was fortunate to have some of the best fast bowlers in the world. In my side, and and generally, you know, I felt you know, three of the best batsmen in the world in my in my top five batting. So, you know, that particular South African cricket team we had was uh, was right up there with one of the better ones that I've ever seen. So, I was fortunate to have those guys, and also I had the backing of Graham Smith, the captain. We had a, you know, I was I was to hold and to go nowhere, and you know, and, they, and they were able to uh, sort of attack with the with the faster bowlers. You know, you had your sort of Dale Staines, your Morning Morkels, Mackay and Tini, Andre Null. When he played, uh, you know, we had this barrage of fast bowlers coming in and guys didn't enjoy facing them. And if I was going for nothing on my side, we were generally winning test matches. So, you know, it was a, it was a really good team. And that 2008 year, I and mean, that was just a ridiculous year for Sapring cricket. I mean, I look back at that, you know, beating England in England and then uh, beating Australia in Australia in the same year. It just doesn't get too much better. Yeah, that period, obviously, say 2008 to 2010, you got like a series of, uh, I think, I believe nine series uh, undefeated. For you personally, 2009, the home series against Australia, 
you got a, a nine in the game. Um, how how was that as a team under coach Mickey Arthur? You mentioned Captain Graham Smith. What kind of culture do you think um, led to that, that that great side? I think first of all, a winning one, and everyone knew kind of what their roles were and and, and, and what they had to achieve. And also, I think Graham and Mickey got it spot on. I think what they did was, is you don't have to be best friends with everyone, everyone on your side. But while you're there, you've got to understand their culture. You've got to understand their differences. And you've got to make a way of, you know, you've got to make a way of getting it to work. South Africa is a very different place. We've, you know, our past is our past. We've had an horrific past. And we have so many different cultures in a, in a dressing room and so many different types of people in a, in, a, in a dressing room. And they managed to bring everyone together, which was, which was great. Um, and I think that's the reason why we did so well. I mean, you know, we played exceptionally good cricket away from home, which was weird. Um, you know, I didn't lose a in my in my whole time playing for South Africa, I didn't lose a single series away from home. Um, only only lost one series, and that was at home, the one that you alluded to now. Thanks for reminding me about that. But um, it was the only series we lost, and then and look, that was a bit of a sort of uh, I suppose it was a test match I remember fondly because I got uh, sort of nine wickets, but also we had lost the series before that test match already against Australia. We played pretty poor cricket uh, the two test matches before and got beaten. And, uh, and rightly so, after we came back, I think we had a bit of a hangover from that uh, 2008-9 sort of year and came back and got well beaten in those first two tests. And in the third test, started playing some decent cricket again. And again, it was, you know, I love bowling at Newlands, especially the old school Newlands with the southeaster blowing. You bowl into it, you get a lot of drift. Uh, the wicket's a bit slower than the other wickets here in South Africa. So you're always in the game as a, as a spinner. In that particular game, uh, you know, we, we played some some really good cricket. Our batters stepped up to the plate, and uh, and there was a little bit in it for me. So it was good to sort of uh, finish that that series off well. But uh, as you know, in terms of the overall series, it wasn't a great one, a great one for us. But yeah, that that setup, that team environment was probably the best I've ever played under or played in. And then 2011, you played your last Test match. Um, Mickey offered obviously gone. Gary Kirsten comes in did you feel the change of coach and obviously there was a lot of talk with Imran Tahir now being qualified or getting qualification how did that affect you mentally did it affect you mentally sure I think it would anybody I think you'd be lying if you said it didn't um, you know first of all Imran Tahir deserved uh, uh, the call up I mean that first loss record is is actually astounding I mean the amount of wickets that guy's got is ridiculous and the fact that he didn't do as well at Test cricket than then I thought he would is irrelevant. The guy deserved his, uh, his chance. He's also a fantastic bloke. And he's done sort of wonders in one day, one day cricket for South Africa. But I mean, I'm surprised he didn't do better in Test cricket. I must admit, because he is uh, he's a proper bowler, that guy. And he deserved his chance. I suppose I was a bit disappointed as I went from sort of number one to number four. There were like three other spinners that jumped to sort of uh, ahead of me um, when I felt that I'd done nothing wrong. Uh, probably not set the world alight, but it wasn't my job to set the world alight. So, you know, was I was a bit disappointed with the way it was handled, sure. But it had nothing to do with Gary Kirsten, that I can assure you. It was more sort of a selection, uh, you know, sort of combination of selectors that uh, wanted to move on. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. But sure, I was a bit, uh, a bit uh, you know, sort of hurt and upset about it. Um, and, uh, and I suppose it's, it showed. Because I only played another two years of cricket and then, uh, and then stopped. Yes, in terms of your test career, you finished with 103 wickets. I think that's currently 16th on the all-time list of South Africa. Um, so it's a phenomenal test career. So um, post-playing days, what have you been? What have you been up to? <laughs> we started. Yeah, it's uh, funny. We we started a sort of banking software business. So we do uh, we're a banking switching platform. So we do bank. Our retailers become banks. 
uh, you know, we've had large government distribution of funds, uh, cross-border transfers, um, all that sort of stuff uh, into Africa. And uh, yeah, so I've become a, a banker in my, for my sins uh, since I finished playing and uh, looking to study again next year. So it's been, I've got two kids now, they're getting a bit bigger. So uh, it's been really busy. So when you were, um, when you were playing, did you have a plan to, uh, to move into this sector? And a word on sportsmen kind of making that transition, obviously playing days is only a short part of, your, of one's life. And a lot of sportsmen struggle. Uh, a word on that? Sure. Yeah, look, I actually read an article about it, uh, sort of about the, 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 the how to bridge that gap a bit more effectively. And I mean, it is it is unbelievably scary. Uh, you know, I, at the time, I, I when I, retired, I went, I came home from a game, uh, and I was on the physio bed, and was the long-serving physio of the Titans here and I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I mean, I, was, I think I was only 33 years old when I, when I stopped playing, so I still had a long time to go. But then again, you know, if you're 40 years old looking for a job, it's a lot more difficult than when you're 33. And I was quite fortunate to meet a guy called Kubis Deploy, who started this business, started this business to, to, well, sort of together, uh, called Solvax. And we, uh, and we, we, you know, I learned as we went along. I didn't have, I don't have a degree. I'm starting, as I said, next year, <laughs> studying again. So hopefully, doing my MBA next year. Um, and uh, you know, I just learned along the way. And uh, you know. I've, I had the ability, which I was fortunate that I could sell, and sort of moved up the chain, and uh, and now sort of helping helping run the business. And it's just been I was fortunate to get into it, but there's no shortcut, unfortunately. You've got to kind of, you know, and also financially, it uh, you know we didn't have I didn't have IPL and have all those sort of things. So you go from earning really good money to earning nothing, and it becomes it can be a, you know there was sort of levels of depression as you go along. Um, but I was fortunate to have a, a sort of good wife who had a very good job. And um, and she could sort of get us through it, but it certainly isn't an easy time for a sportsman. I had a conversation with Abi de Villiers about it a while ago, and you know, even even a guy like Abi, you know, who's who's uh, who's made a lot of money, so money's not the problem. It's what's next in your life. You know, what are you going to do with yourself? What are you going to keep you? You know, what's going to keep you, you busy? And as the as a guy that's achieved at such a high level, you kind of want to achieve at that level again. And the next thing you do, and it becomes quite difficult to live up to that expectation. And then back on the playing field, a word on the, the, the current South African side. How do you say that um, the spinners, are there any future spinners that you would say that we should keep an eye on? Look, I think this Kesha of Maharaj is a fantastic boat. I really do. I think that, uh, you know, a few technical things. I was fortunate enough to work with him a bit now in this last test series against, uh, against the English. And uh, his work ethic is through the roof. And uh, there were a few technical issues he had, but we worked on those. I just think he's a really, really good bowler. I think he's all the attributes to be sort of a 300 test wicket uh, spinner. He's already got 100 test wickets already in his career. Um, I think he could play close to 100 test matches for South Africa. So I think he's the guy in possession now. Um, you know, I think Shamsi's a fantastic uh, foil for when uh, Imran Tahir decides that, it's, that he's done. Um, you know, he's got all the, he's, he's got much more consistent. Uh, he used to bowl too many bad balls. He's now not bowling many bad ones. And uh, you know, he's got himself fitter. He's hungry, um, so sort of, uh, you know, as a, as a backup there, you've got him, you've got a guy called Fortain, who's a good sort of uh, controlling uh, sort, of, sort of bowler. Um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's a core group of guys there that you can work with. Um, but I do think that uh, Keshav Maharaj is the real deal. And then the challenges South African cricket uh, faces um, currently, in your opinion? <laughs> there's a few. <laughs> Look, I think financially, uh, they, 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 they're fortunate now. I think that Jacques Fall, who's the acting CEO, he's incredible commercially. Um, you know, he's 
probably, if not the best, one of the best sporting CEOs in the country. You know, it took the Titans, uh, you know, from sort of breaking even to really making good, uh, to making good profits. He's done the same with Cricket South Africa. Now they're making making profits. They've got Graham Smith in there who, uh, you know, I think they need to get someone in there that had credibility, someone that sort of commanded the respect of the cricketing world, uh, which he does. Um, and, you, you know, and then you've got the Bulldog, Mark Boucher, as the, as, the, as the coach, who I think they were lacking a bit of sort of that old South African, uh, you know, aggressiveness in their sort of way they're doing things. Uh, which which Barchi will will, will will bring back. Uh, you know, his work ethic is second to none. Um, he doesn't take any shit whatsoever. Uh, and and he's you know, he's become quite a fair guy. He's become quite experienced coaching the Titans, winning trophies. He knows how to win. Um, so I think that they've got the right blocks in place uh, to 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 get a good side, and then sort of nurturing talent in this country. And that's the biggest issue: is finding the right coaches in the right positions, finding the talent. Um, you know, people can't tell me that there aren't another 15, 20, 30, 40 robotas floating around in South Africa somewhere. There has to be. Uh, it just needs the sort of focus to be in the right direction to get these guys to come through. Uh, we have our challenges in this country. We certainly do. You know, we've got uh, the haves and the haves-nots more than most places. Um, you know, the difference between the haves and the haves-nots is sort of just ginormous. So we do have our, our issues in this country, but I think with the right focus, and the right guys in place, we can certainly um, um, you know, bridge those gaps. Perfect, Paul. Um, really appreciate your time. Fantastic to chat about your career. And um, all sure the best for the months, months ahead. Thank you. You need to come, man. It was enjoyable. I enjoyed that. Perfect. So, Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Stories, Paul Harris. Thank you.